Well, good morning. Um, it's good to, good to be here this morning and see all of you on um, what is surely the nicest spring day we've had um, on a Sunday for a while. So um, hope you're able to get out this afternoon and enjoy that. But I uh, wanted to especially introduce myself if you're new. Um, I'm, my name is Bland, and if I haven't had a chance to meet you already, I'll be in the connection table right across the hall. I would love to say hi um, to you uh, and, and just introduce myself. We are today um, in the book of First Thessalonians, and we are in the second week of a series on mission. Uh, a few weeks ago, we, we wrapped up uh, a series called Ro- The Road to Redemption by looking at Luke 24 and looking at the, the uh, resurrection of Christ. He appeared to his disciples, and then uh, last week, we, we focused in on one of those In Luke 24, verses uh, 44 through 53, where uh, Jesus tells his disciples to go and to preach this gospel, this good news of his life, his death, and his resurrection to all the nations. And if you weren't here, I encourage you to go back, because what we did at that point is sort of zoom out to the 40,000-foot view of Scripture, and I literally preached from Genesis to Revelation in one sermon, so I know uh, that's that's rather gutsy, but um, it was uh, was a 40,000-foot view that I think is super helpful for understanding what God's doing in the world and understand how we, uh, how we join him in mission, uh, this call to do mission. And one of the things that we learned as we look at, looked at Jesus's church and this call to mission is mission is not a list of activities. It's not a to-do list. I know we're all used to to-do lists. Some of you have your to-do list uh, very close to you at all times because that's how you operate, right? Um, and when you check those things off, there's something that happens to your soul um, where you get, you smile and there's a deep sense of happiness, and uh, if you can get all of them done, which you never do, uh, it, would, it would be literally heaven on earth. But uh, that's not how mission is to be. We're not, not, not to say there aren't things that we do as part of it, but mission, if you remember what we looked at, mission is who, part of who we are. It's not simply things that we do. There is a mission. Uh, the church has a, it lives for a mission because the church came into being because of a mission. Jesus uh, told his disciples, as the Father has sent me, so send I you, uh, in the book of John. And that word send in the, in the Latin is the word missio, which is where we get our word mission from. So literally the word mission means sent. And that's an identity for us as a people, which is why uh, mission is one of our core values. So then the question that we have to ask ourselves as a church and as individuals is, am I living this out? Am I living out the identity that God has, has uh, redeemed me for, that Christ has died and risen from the grave and given me new life for? This is who I am. Um, and that's what we're going to be looking at through, through the rest of this series. Um, but one of the things that I wanted us to see today is how Jesus himself never separated mission from who he was. When Jesus said, the Father sent me into this world, it doesn't mean he sent me into this world so that kind of nine to five, Monday through Friday, I was on mission, but those other times I kind of took off, relaxed, chilled out, um, you know, just put in my solid 40 on mission. Um, That's not how Jesus saw his life, which means that everything Jesus did, whether it was going to a wedding feast, whether it was teaching, preaching, hanging out with his disciples, eating with them, explaining the the kingdom of God, or feeding 5,000 people, This all fit into Jesus' mission. And yes, even a nap that we know Jesus took on a boat fit into this mission. 
Jesus saw his entire life as operating out of this mission. And I think the more that we can see this, the less we will see, we'll think of mission as, well, well, I've got to do some things this week for mission. And come to understand, I am sent. I am on mission. So then how do I steward my life well for, for that and live out of that? And what we're going to see today is that the church exists for mission and, uh, or by mission and for mission. And that in this passage in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, we're going to see that people seeking to know and make Christ known, uh, that is our mission. We can make an impact on a city. I know that sounds rather ambitious, but, but that's exactly what happened in, in the book of 1 Thessalonians, the background there, is that, that a people who are seeking to know Christ, to draw near to him, and to help others know him, changed a, the fabric of a city. The city of Thessalonica is, uh, is, a, power, is, a, is a great example of how God moved, um, the, uh, the, the city itself was the capital of the Roman province that it was in and was governed by some local, uh, local governing authorities. Around 100,000 people had a natural harbor, was on the uh, Roman, Roman road called the Ignatian Way, which still exists today. You can go walk on parts of it. It was the most, uh, one of the most uh, significant trade routes in the Roman Empire. And this city, Thessalonica, was on uh, this route. And Paul went there, preached the gospel, went, uh, went along with Timothy and Silas and preached the gospel there, beginning in the synagogue for three Sundays, three Sabbaths, preached the gospel there, and then moved out of the synagogue and into the Gentile marketplace and began to preach the gospel to uh, the people there. And God began to move. God began to uh, change people's hearts. But unfortunately, there was a riot that was instigated. Instigated. See, the Jewish leaders, where there was a significant Jewish population in this city, they did not like the fact that Paul had come in, preached this, you know, this, uh, this idea of Jesus as the Messiah, and there were some Jewish people that had started to follow Jesus as the Messiah. And so they, they uh, stirred up a riot and actually uh, grabbed a, a guy named Jason, who was Paul's host, and took, drag, dragged Jason into the marketplace for a, a public trial. And so the disciple, uh, Paul, Silas, Silas, and Timothy ended up having to leave Thessalonica uh, to go to a nearby town for their own safety. Um, and what happened is, we know that what we get is, is from Acts 17 and other places, Paul loved this church, loved these people dearly, was sad to leave. So he sent Timothy back uh, to go see them. And then Timothy met up with him uh, and gave him a report. So what we're reading in 1 Thessalonians is Paul's letter back to this, this dear church that he had helped be a part of, of planting. So we're just going to look at uh, chapter 1, verses 1 through 10. When I'm done, I'll say, when I'm done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with me by affirming, thanks be to God. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before God and uh, our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. 
And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you. And how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for the Son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So two, two things I want us to focus on in, in this passage that I think may be the single best example in the New Testament um, of what a fully orbed witness looks like as far as a really succinct passage that tells us what does it look like for a people to live on mission in a community and then how God moves. So uh, we're going to see how, what happens when the gospel comes to town and when a missional church is born. Uh, so let's talk about that. When the gospel comes to town. Now, I, this is an old Western reference, if you're not familiar with this. You, many of you who at least grew up in the U.S., you, you know the story, because it's every Western, right? There's a town, and it's, you know, there's bad guys are running the town, and then there's uh, a stranger, right? There's a stranger in town, you know? And that stranger would come in, and, and what would they do? They would, they would stir things up and then end up, you know, in a gunfight with the bad guys out on the, on the street, and they would set the town free. Um, and what I'm, what I'm uh, alluding to, in this is that when the gospel came to Thessalonica, it changed everything. They didn't know what was happening, but, but something impacted the entire community. The truth is that God could have chosen to beam the gospel message right into the minds and hearts of every person in that city, but he didn't choose to do that, did he? What did he do? He chose to send Paul, Silas, and Timothy to go, to embody the gospel, to bring the gospel with them. And that's how God works today. You can think of Paul, Silas, and Timothy as they weren't related. They're brothers in Christ as a small missional community. A small community, love Jesus, walking with each other in Christ, who took the gospel into a new city. And I want us to see in verse 5 the key here of what it looked like for the gospel to actually come to this community. Paul says, our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power, in the Holy Spirit, and with full conviction. For you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. So the gospel came in five ways to this one little community. Just from this verse, it tells us what a fully orbed, fully life, full life mission looks like when you live somewhere among a people. And the first is the gospel came in words. Now, I know you're thinking, he says, but it came to them not only in word. Yes, but not only in word means it did come in word, right? So that's, that's important not to miss because I hear sometimes, and, and this still gets, it still gets circulated on the internet. I do not know why. I guess I do know why. Uh, the same reason uh, there, are, there are memes about Abraham Lincoln talking about the dangers of the internet. Um, there's a meme, that's, or there's, a, there's a quote that says, um, preach the gospel, use words if necessary, and it's attributed to St. Francis of Assisi. There's only one problem with that. Actually, there's several. Number one, he never said it. He never said that. Number two, he was of a preaching order of monks. Literally, his job was to preach the gospel. And number three, it's completely unbiblical. 
Realize what you're saying. My life should so reflect the glory and the gospel of Jesus that I need not say a word. People will spontaneously combust and become Christians simply because of the way I live. Number one, do, and does anybody want to take that on? Like anybody like, yeah, that's how I'm living. No, absolutely not, right? None of us want to, to have that pressure. Now, I understand the sentiment, and we'll get to that in a moment, what the sentiment of it is, that your life should line up with the gospel you proclaim. We'll talk about that, and I agree with that fully. Um, but we have to use our words. You remember? Uh, I remember when our, my daughter Hannah was little, and she'd get upset about something, and you know what you tell a small child who's upset, and, and, and just, you say, What? Use your words, (laughs) right? Use your words. Talk to me. Tell me what's happening. Um, Well, we've got to use our words. It's not enough for us to be in this city and have great relationships with people who don't know Jesus and and have all of these friendships and, and, and believe that somehow we're being a faithful witness and mission on mission for Christ if we never talk to them about Jesus, if we never share the good news. Now, I'm all for waiting, I'm all for the right time, I'm all for praying and fasting and letting the Spirit guide you in that moment, but some of you have known people for five years that you know today, you could sit down and have that conversation. They trust you, they love you, they know you, you're their friend, but you've never crossed that line of using your words, right? And Paul says we have to use the words. Why? Because the gospel is fundamentally a message. It's a message. It's a message that Jesus is king, it's a message that, that the brokenness that every person that you and I know, the, the brokenness that I feel in this world is not the final word. And that this lie of somehow you'll get ahead in your job, you'll make enough money, you'll find the right family, you'll get the right relationships, you'll you get this thing, you'll have this experience, and then your life will be full, is a lie. It's a lie that we all, we're, we're, we're drinking like Kool-Aid every day, Right? And, and here's the thing. Some of your friends are, are realizing that's not really true, right? They, they realize those, those experiences are short-lived, that joy of graduation, that joy of that new relationship, that joy of that trip or experience is not lasting. And there can be a sense of disenchantment. That's good, right? And we're here to tell them that Jesus has come as a new king to bring restoration between us and God, which is the thing we're missing And he did that by dying in our place to take away all our guilt, all our shame, all our inadequacies and bring us into a new kingdom now where our joy and our peace and our hope is not like a roller coaster ride, right? It's it's in Christ, which never changes. And he is our eternal inheritance and hope. Now, Paul, the way Paul preached out to these folks was what to share the gospel uh, in a direct way, but Paul preached differently to different people. He shared the gospel in different ways, and I would encourage you to think about this, all right? So when Paul was, uh, Paul was talking to the Jewish people in the synagogue, he had the Torah, or the Old Testament, at least the first five books of the Old Testament, in, in common with them. So what did he use? He used the first five books of the Old Testament to engage with them about the gospel, right? Jesus came to fulfill this. Jesus is the fulfillment, the Messiah that the uh, Jews have been hoping for, right? So that's how he talked to them. How did he talk to the Athenian uh, philosophers at the Areopagus in, in Athens? He didn't go, hey, you know what? You guys have been waiting for the Messiah from the Old Testament, right? Let's talk about Moses a bit. No, he said, hey guys, I see all these idols that you have around the city and I see you got this one that's made for the unknown idol, 
right? You guys are like, just in case we miss there's a God out there, we got this one statute for him too. And Paul began to engage them from that standpoint. So here's the thing. You have a friend who, let's say, is a, grew up Catholic, but really doesn't follow Catholicism anymore, doesn't go to church, hasn't been involved in a long time. But let's say they, they believe in God. Well, you, you don't have to go, here, here are the 10 reasons you should believe in God, right? Like maybe, here's the thing I've run into, you'll find people that like Jesus, like that like Jesus, that aren't Christians. They're like, yeah, I think he was kind of cool. Like, okay, well, we have somewhere to talk, start and talk about there. So engaging people with the gospel is not having some written idea of like, okay, I'm just going to, you know, let everybody have this message. It's, it's bringing the message to the people in a way that connects with them where they are. So it came in word. But, but Paul also said it did not come in just word. It came in power, right? Power is the second uh, aspect of it. This isn't just an ordinary message. This isn't, um, you know, this isn't uh, good news about, hey, actually, it was, this is a funny story. I was talking to a guy recently um, who was a church planner. He's, you know, maybe 15, 10, 15 years older than me. And he, uh, he planted in the late 80s his first church. He had these two buddies that he'd known for years came to him and they were like, dude, have you got some money? And he's like, I'm a church planner. I have zero money. <laughs> he has his small kids, zero money, church planner. He said, no, no, no. Ser-. These guys are like, seriously, like if you got $500 or $1,000, like, like give it to us. We're going to invest in this company. We guarantee it will be, it is going to explode. You've got to do this. Like, and he had zero money. His two friends went ahead and invested. The company was called Berkshire Hathaway. Maybe you've heard of it. The guy was telling me, I've had one six-digit donation to my uh, churches over the years. One, it was from one of those individuals. So, um, This isn't a stock tip. This isn't a, you know, you know all the things going around the internet. Here, do these three things first thing in the morning to have the best day ever. Do these three or five things to increase your energy in the middle of the afternoon. This isn't that kind of information. We are sharing something that has power. Power to change lives, power to give hope, power to break through whatever obstacles are there, right? Paul says um, in Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Listen, the gospel can change people. It has the power to change people's minds and hearts. It, I think of, a, a, of someone who was baptized uh, maybe a couple of years ago at, at Cohen. I remember having conversations with, uh, with this guy over, over weeks and weeks. And, and uh, it was so interesting. There was a point where I said something to him. We were talking about, he asked a question and I said something. And he goes, you know, I think three or four weeks ago I would push back on that. So well, I'm not sure I believe in this and this and this. And that's why. And he goes, but I kind of think I believe that now. So he recognized he wouldn't have believed that, and he has no reason to believe that, but he does, right? It's not that he intellectually arrived, and yes, there are intellectual questions. There are questions to answer, and that's good, and and that's what Christianity Explored is for, but we're ultimately not believing that a person, we knock down all of the intellectual barriers and a person becomes a Christian. They become a Christian because the power of, of the gospel for salvation for everyone who believes 
It's the power. It's the power in this room right now that can save someone in this room right now. I believe that. It is the power uh, for your best friend that is not walking with Jesus. It's the power for your, uh, your neighbor, your coworker, for your friend who's, who's struggling in depression and loneliness. It's for that person who's dealing with addiction. It is the power of salvation for every person that you will see today, tomorrow, and this entire week and the rest of your life. Now, there's a question. How would that change your week if you really believed that? That it's, the weight is not on you. The power is not your convincing. Your ability to, to nuance the arguments just right. It's not your, your brilliance or your ingenuity or your creativity. It comes down to the power of the gospel itself to change lives. But not only did it come with power, but I love this because it's, it's, it's an extension very well connected in scripture. It came in the Holy Spirit. Now, in the book of, uh, book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit, the, the gospel is blowing up, right, and, and moving, like the Holy Spirit and power are like this, right? Like it talks about power being there and the Holy Spirit. And this is one of those examples. The, the power of God at work is the Holy Spirit, but the gospel itself is powerful. Uh, the Spirit is what uses the gospel in people's lives. And Paul and Silas and Timothy were preaching the gospel uh, in such a way that it was as if God was speaking to those people. It was as if God himself was awakening their minds and awakening their hearts. This happened to me my freshman year in college. I didn't understand what it was. I, I, uh, I remember sort of <laughs> over a semester, kind of like starting the semester, not a Christian, and then just kind of gradually going, yeah, I guess I kind of believe that. Yep, believe that. Yep, believe that. And I thought like mentally I was like assenting to these things and like on this journey. And it wasn't until I looked back in the rearview mirror and I was like, no, it's pretty clearly something else. <laughs> in this case, someone else. The Holy Spirit that was working in me to open my eyes to delight in Jesus, to see Jesus. It's not that I had never heard Jesus. I literally was well, I was forced to go to church as a teenager, but I did go to church as a little kid. I'd heard all the stories. I'd heard the gospel. I'd heard Jesus. How many times had I heard the gospel? I couldn't even tell you how many times. And yet it had not penetrated my heart. The Holy Spirit is what opened my heart to believe at that point. And he's working today. And the question then is, are we as Christians living in that power of the Holy Spirit? Are you living in that? Are you, do you believe the Holy Spirit can actually go, through, go with you and through you and speak to other people and you can see things happen that cannot happen otherwise? I love Luke eleven thirteen. Jesus tells, it's a crazy thing. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He will give the Holy Spirit. So Paul, Silas, and Timothy came full of the Holy Spirit. He wants you. He wants me. He wants every person in this room who's a follower of Jesus to experience the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. I'm convinced of that. Why doesn't he do it? In his sovereignty, what did he just tell us to do? Ask. You know why? Because he's not just trying to make, he's not just trying to uh, come in and rescue us. He's trying to teach us to trust him. And if you looked at God and you said, God, I need the Holy Spirit so much. I don't want to go to work tomorrow. I don't want to go about my day. I don't want to do anything. 
until I have the Spirit, until I feel like I'm full and I can know that I'm full of the Spirit. What if we lived like that? What if we said, God, I want your presence and your power in me so much, I will not be content to go about my life without, without you. Fourthly here is full conviction. Means that the preachers, this, this idea of full assurance or full conviction is, is the idea that the, the, this uh, crew, um, Paul, Silas, and Timothy, had perfect assurance as to the truth and effectiveness of the gospel. 1 Thessalonians 2, so just over in chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, he says, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. This wasn't some abstract idea for them. They had experienced it, so then they could tell other people about it. I think one of the reasons some of us neglect to tell other people about Jesus is that we have forgotten how much he did for us. Of what he has done to save us, redeem us, walk with us, guide us, direct us, carry us in life. And we forget how significant that was. We should never doubt that God could save anyone. Why? Because he saved us. He saved me. And I knew me. I know me. I knew me and I... (laughs) And it's a miracle, <laughs> a, a genuine grade A, top of the line, uh, walking on water, feeling, feeding 5,000 miracle that, that I'm a Christian today because I was heading not towards God. It wasn't like we, I was on this trajectory of, oh, I was going to meet God somewhere. I was running away from God, pursuing my own life. I was completely prideful, selfish ambition, full of lust and anger, all of those things. And God rescued me. Who am I to look at anyone and think they're beyond God's salvation? Who am I to count out my friend or my family member? I know some of you have that family member. You love them, but you've almost just kind of given up on them. Let's not stop praying. Let's not stop believing. For as, as the scripture says, in due time, we will reap a reward for that. I think God delights in those prayers, those long, faithful prayers for that person that you love. And you can think of them today. That person that you know and that you love, it may be your friend or coworker or lifelong uh, you know, uh, friend or whatever, and, and, and your heart breaks for them. And it should. Don't, don't let that feeling slip. Don't become numb to, the, to the, the fact that your friend does not know eternal life. They do not know Christ. They don't have the hope of eternity. They don't know what it means to have fullness of life in the God who's created them. We should not be content should come, the gospel should come with full conviction for us. And finally, the one that most of us are focused on a lot is Paul's life witness. Look at what he says at the end of verse 5. Um, he says, for you know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. What's that mean? You know how we lived. You know the way that our lives reflected what we believed. We were, we were compassionate. We were kind. Listen to what he says in chapter 2, verses 5 through 8, describing how he says, For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed. God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you. What an interesting, like, just loves these people. 
affectionately desirous of you. We were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. Christians should have a tangible quality of life that reflects the gospel we believe, not perfection. Please don't, I would argue if, if any, around, any of your people around, your friends around you think you have it all together, you might be playing your, your weaknesses a little too close to the chest. The truth is, one of the best things we can do is show that we need grace. Asking that coworker to forgive us when we shot off that short email that wasn't very kind, right? I'm serious. Like, that's weird. This is really weird. Do you think they'll remember that? Just a genuine, hey, I'm sorry, I wrote that too fast. I wasn't very kind to you. Uh, Forgive me for that. Anybody experience that daily at work? Like just a culture where people are just quick to own and ask for forgiveness? Absolutely not. But what if Christians did that? What if we were those types of people in our workplaces? What if when I shot that short email off to Tyler, I would go to him and say, I'm sorry, <laughs> that was too short and abrupt and, and I used too many four-letter words. Um, <laughs> come on. Um, but what if we had that kind of life, not of perfection, but of authenticity? Listen, we live in a brilliant culture, and, and very smart people are going to have 27 reasons why they don't believe in your God, and they don't believe Jesus was real. But they can't argue with who you are. They can't argue with when, you, when people wrong you, you don't wrong them back. That you're quick to own your stuff. That you're quick to help others go out of your way out of kindness That you don't seem to have selfish ambition as if you're the center of the world. You seem to love others well. What if we lived that way? It's a powerful message in our culture that creates a context, I would argue, for sharing the gospel. Um, There's a really great story of... Benjamin Franklin was a very interesting character in history. If you ever get to, to read any of his biographies or anything, he's... He was a quirky, weird, arrogant guy. Um, but one thing, uh, one time, he, he discovered one of his discoveries besides discovering electricity, right? He, uh, <laughs> he discovered that, uh, that sowing plaster in your, in your crops actually helps them to grow faster. And, and what he learned, uh, he, he did this, and um, he was trying to convince his, you know, the farmers and, and uh, neighbors to, to do this. And none of them, they were like, you are crazy. That's nuts. Why would we do that? That's not, you're doing, this is like, you're trying to punk us, right? Like Ashton Kutcher's going to jump out, and we're going to be out in the field. But um, <laughs> they didn't believe him, and rightfully so, because no one had ever done it before. So one year, one spring, what he decided to do is he, he uh, sowed his field, and, he, and right next to the path where all of his neighbors would walk, he, uh, he sowed, uh, he wrote some large letters into some troughs in the dirt, and then sowed plaster in there, and then sowed the entire field. Two weeks later, when uh, things were springing up, the, the plastered area had grown much faster, and it says, this has been plastered. Yeah. <laughs> And his neighbors saw it. Now, in a way, that's, that's how the gospel is. They may not believe the gospel message, but our lives should ring the authenticity of the Christ we follow in a way that people kind of go, okay, that's just weird. I, I, I can't explain that. I can refute arguments, but I can't explain why 
he's that kind of person or she's that kind of person. And I think that's the calling, even as we take the gospel, to be a countercultural community. And this is happening in our country um, as, as Christianity is being pushed to the margins of our country in terms of the uh, used to hold a much more center uh, cultural influence. Um, Christianity is being pushed to the margins. Some Christians want to try to take the back the middle by fighting, right? Like, let's lay claim. Those secular people can't win. We're going to get it back. I, I've never seen that work in history, church history. It's never effective in, like, actually for the sake of the gospel. But when, that, when, when the church on the margins of culture begins to live as a countercultural community that loves our enemies— is for uh, justice, for, for the unborn, uh, for every people group. When, when they begin to live in a way that doesn't make sense to the larger culture is when the gospel is most effective in changing the culture. Listen, the Roman, this is the Roman Empire, right? It was not, the Thessalonica was not a, a bastion of Christians. It was, a, it was a, the, the um, pantheon, Roman pantheon, and the imperial cult was there. And even some Egyptian cults were active in Thessalonica. This was not a place that was like, please bring us the gospel. We want to hear it. But the gospel went forth there, and people began to live this out, and it changed the city. And that's what I want us to look at as we close, is the, a new church is born and joins the mission. It simply says this, they received the word. It means the word took root in their heart and they experienced change. And one of the beautiful things we know from this is Jews and Gentiles who did not mix socially in that culture. Now all of a sudden we're in the church together and there is not a single record we have in scripture of there being any conflict, but only brotherhood, sisterhood. That this, this community of people who should not be together were all of a sudden together. And, and the city saw this, and it made an impact. It's what happens when the gospel creates a brand new family. And it happened all over the Roman Empire. This is how cities were changed and how the Roman Empire um, became a, a you know, was officially, uh, Christianity was declared the official religion of the Roman Empire in the fourth century. And these people began to follow and live like Jesus. So it's not just that the gospel terminated on the church at Thessalonica. Look at verse 6. Paul says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit so that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. Crazy thing. Became imitators of Paul, right? So they began to live on mission, love each other, serve each other. And they did it during uh, affliction, Right? That's a weird thing. With joy. Does that sort of conflict in your mind? Anybody see that as an oxymoron? It was a terrible time of affliction. We had great joy, right? Like, only Christ can bring deep joy even while things around us are falling apart. Even while people are persecuting and pushing back on, on these, this new church, there's a deep joy in Christ and in each other. This city had been changed. And not only did this city get changed, verse 8, for not only was the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. So Paul's saying, we're going out in different places and we're trying to tell people about what's happened in Thessalonica. And they're like, oh, we've heard. We've heard about what God's done there. 
How crazy is that? He says, um, for they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. This is our hope, right? This is, this is our hope for our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers. This is a hope for our family that is not walking with God, that, that they would turn from the idols, whether it's success or, or pleasure or comfort or whatever it is that they're following, and turn from those things which do not give life. And they experience life in Christ. That's our hope. And we've been given the message and the power to, to be a part of helping them to see, see that and experience that. That's our mission. It's who we are. And this is how City on a Hill was, was started. 12 years ago, if you're new, we were started as a new church. We're, I, I and a, a, a core group of you know, 30 people, uh, we helped launch a, a service that was at a, another school down the road. Um, and, and that group began to grow. We began to see people experience gospel. We began, began to see people brought together in community. We began to see people living out on mission. We, we've planted several churches around the city. We've, we've uh, supported missionaries globally. We've uh, partnered with local organizations to, to, to do justice and mercy in the city. The mission has been a part of who we are, but here's the thing. Mission is the first thing to go when a church begins to get off track. It's the first thing. Because what happens is the people who stop living on mission start to survive on the unity that they have, which, by the way, is only to ultimately to be found as you live on mission. It's never meant to be unity for unity's sake. So what happens when you stop being a people unified on mission and are just now a people unified? How long does that unity last? And then that begins to, to fish, have fishers. You know, it's... it's the thing that the difference between a, a, a healthy church and an unhealthy church is the difference between a, a, a battleship and a cruise ship, right? It's purpose. Battleship, cruise ship, both of them sail the ocean. Both of them are seaworthy and can do lots of things out on the ocean. But there's a purpose that's different, an underlying purpose. How weird would it be to, to uh, you're touring a battleship and you see, uh, you know, Shea lounges all over the place. You see the, the turrets have become cabanas, right? You'd be like, that's weird. That's not what a battleship's for. Exactly. John Piper reminds us, he says, the church is a, is a battleship, not a cruise ship. It's not here for us to think about, oh, what's in this for me? How am I getting this for me? Is this good for me? Did I like that? I didn't like that. I, mean, I wish we did that differently. Again, it's, it's become self-absorbed. And it's the Kool-Aid we drink every day in our culture of this self-absorption cons- consumption uh, idea this, this philosophy. But as Christians, we are united together on mission. We have a purpose. We're a battleship. We do battle. It's not the same. It's not violence. But it's the battle of, 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 of serving God. We have a distinct purpose. We will be continually working on this ship. And that's the thing I want to remind us of as we close. We're always working on the ship. The ship is always being worked on. And some people can start setting up those cabanas and lounge chairs and other stuff. But if, if we as a whole keep focused on our mission, we're going to keep moving forward. But if we all start sort of turning, then we're going to lose that edge. We're going to lose the purpose that God has for his church, that God has for you. 
I mean, what are you going to do with your life that's going to be bigger than, than, than leveraging your time, your family, your resources, your job, everything for the, uh, an ultimate mission of the kingdom of God? What are you going to do that's going to matter more than that? So it's no wonder that Satan wants to distract us from those things. So as we come to a close, I want us to, we're going to respond, move into a time of response through uh, song and, and communion. And I want you to think about how you've been living this out. Have you seen mission as an identity? Would you say it is your hope in life to know Christ and to make him known? Would you say that your community group's hope is to know Christ and to make him known? Is the purpose of our church, do we see this as to know Christ and to make him known? We probably have some things we need to repent of, some, some ways that we've been living or spending our money or time or energy and that we need to repent of. And we say, no, I've been kind of using that and that's not really on mission. That's not been for the mission. That's really just kind of for me as if this is heaven on earth. So I'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand. We're going to um, pray. I'm going to pray and we'll move into our time of communion um, over this next song, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can slip out, um, go out these side doors here and uh, take uh, communion out back. Um, and, and that's because we're not allowed to have food or drink in this room. Uh, but if you're not a follower of Christ or not sure where you stand with him today, um, just kind of hang through the song, pray, reflect, ask God, ask Jesus to reveal himself to you. You know, that was one of the questions I asked a, a guy a couple weeks ago, three weeks ago, right before Easter. That's, that he's actually here this morning. I asked him to ask Jesus, is he real, to reveal himself? And he did. Like, I have to admit, I didn't have, I was kind of like believing he might, but I didn't expect like right away, right? <laughs> but he did. And then there was someone else that same week in this church who had the exact same experience. So I know he's real. He's real here today. And he will reveal himself to you. Let's pray. Jesus, first, I'm, I'm just grateful for salvation. You, you certainly did not have to give up your glory in heaven and come down and live a life in this broken world, experiencing suffering at the hands of, of the human beings you made. But you did. And you did it out of love. And you did it out of mercy. You did it out of your loving kindness. And I thank you that you did that for me. And I pray, Father, as we would take communion now as followers of Jesus, the bread and the cup would remind us of the mission you came on for us. That you literally moved heaven and earth that we might know you. May we have that same mission in our heart for those you have put around us and sent us to. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.